We've talked in the last eight, nine weeks about the proverbial life and how important it is for us to not just talk different lives, but actually live different lives. I think we live in a period of exile right now. I think the church that is alive and well all around the world, the American church is a small, small, small part of that, is part of a remnant that God is putting together. And in this period of history, what's important is not so much your speech and all your talk. It's how you live. People don't listen to your arguments. They watch your lives and where that ends up. So I can't be more uh, passionate about this than I am, that we continue to live in the right direction and believe that God will lead people to that direction as they watch our lives over time. This is the last message in that series, and I want to kind of wrap everything up by talking this morning about reputation or name or the kind of the status that we have um, and I know that we sort of play that down in the American culture, but I think that's a mistake. I often hear people with American, you know, kind of mentality say, well, I don't really care what people think of me. Well, you understand that most people who say that can't afford to care what people think of them. This is like saying, well, it doesn't really matter whether you win or lose. It's how you, oh, yes, it does. You don't see some dude holding a Lombardi trophy saying, well, it doesn't really matter whether we want, yeah, it does. The people who say that are the ones who ain't holding the trophy. <laughs> Same way with reputation. You can downplay it if you want to till you try to do something and it gets in the way. Then you realize it maybe is worth more than you thought. It, 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 it is a big part of our lives. So look at the screen uh, and... Uh, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. What image comes to your mind when you hear the name Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? Come on, don't say it out loud. See, we're voting in 48 hours, and I'm not doing a speech for either side. Relax. I'm just saying what words, what images, what feelings come to your mind when I say the word Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? If you look at the screen, that's Hillary Clinton. She lives in Louisiana. She travels all over the country. She's about 27, 28 years old. When she was born, her mama never even heard of Hillary Rodham Clinton. And it didn't matter until 1998 when Bill Clinton had a tryst with Monica Lewinsky and suddenly all the jokes began to surface. She's seven years old when that happened. And she said, I just remember not knowing what it all meant, and I started getting a lot of attention. I didn't much care because I wasn't looking for attention, but suddenly I got too much attention, so she changed her name for a few months just so she could get out from the scrutiny of it. That didn't last for long, and she changed it back. Today, she plans events all over the country. Last week, they were with her, CNN, that is, down in Florida, where she was planning a large Halloween event and she says that she gets all kinds of postings on Facebook pro and con. Whenever she sends emails, she has to send it again because people don't think she's serious about this. They think it's spam or they think she's part of the Clinton campaign. She said Facebook made her change her name from Hillary Clinton to Hill Clinton because apparently Hillary Clinton has been spoken for says she isn't going to vote for Donald Trump but doesn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton because 
She says, I, I'm screwed either way. These are her words. I'm screwed either way. If she gets elected, my life gets a lot worse. <laughs> and this here is Donald Trump. He's actually in his 50s. He lives in Virginia. He's a physician, a good one. He's an oncologist that oversees a large cancer institute. They're trying to fight cancer, doing some incredible research. I watched a video online of him trying to uh, uh, make dinner reservations. It was funny to watch. She said, what name shall I say? And he just said, Donald Trump. There was a long pause, and the lady didn't say anything. And finally, she said over the phone, just a moment, I'll get somebody. And the next person came on the line and said, tell me again, what did you say your name was? He said, Donald Trump. There was another long pause. <laughs> Can you imagine how hard it would be to carry that name and live an ordinary life? He said he finally met the Donald in 2010 when the Donald called and asked the oncologist for a favor in the medical industry. He wasn't able to grant it, but Donald L. Trump here on the screen said, I did redeem the moment to try to raise money. <laughs> and the Donald apparently gave a large amount of money to the Cancer Institute. He tells us that when you talk to him on the phone, he's not anywhere near as verbose in person as he is on the campaign trail, though he is wildly successful, he says, and not ashamed to tell you so. <laughs> Having a name can be a powerful thing. In Proverbs, it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. To be esteemed or to have favor is better than silver or gold. And so early in Proverbs, Lady Wisdom says, keep my commands in your heart and let love and faithfulness never leave you. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And why is that? Because the name of the righteous is used in blessings. But the wicked, the name of the wicked rots. Another way of saying that is good esteem or reputation brings favor, but the way of the unfaithful will not endure. To the ancient sages, the curse of a bad name was not that people were saying bad things about you. It's that you ceased to exist after you were gone. That was the worst curse. It wasn't that you hadn't accumulated enough or done enough in your lifetime. It was that after you were through living, you were promptly forgotten. I was struck when I read through Proverbs again and again the last couple of weeks thinking about the power of a name or reputation. And it's not like the Americans don't value it too. But what I noticed immediately was there's a difference in the priority that they gave to it. To the ancients, your reputation was like the capital in your bank account or your retirement account. And 
Everything else, your success and your achievements and your degrees and your prosperity, that was like the interest that was raised on your capital. If you had a good reputation, then it would ultimately give you prosperity and good opportunities and success and degrees over time. But if you didn't have a good reputation, then you didn't have anything to earn the rest of life with. That is fundamentally different than the way Americans see this. Americans see all of those other things. My achievements, my accomplishments, how big is my company, how many degrees are on the wall, how much money is in my account. We see that as our capital, and we think if we can build those, if I just go get another degree, or if I can build an even bigger company, then that will give me a big reputation. I need another trophy on the wall. Then I'll have a better reputation. But the ancients said, that's only your interest. You have to build capital. So every month I get a statement from my retirement account. It has the capital and it has the interest. Imagine if I call her tomorrow and I say, I'd like to open another account. I want zero dollars in it. And I'll come back in a year and ask you how much interest I've earned. She'll say, your blood sugar low. See, if you don't have any capital, it doesn't matter what the interest rate is. She tells me too many investors worry about interest, something that they can't control. She says, you need to worry about capital because that's what you can control. So you make deposits on your capital and then you let your capital get you everything else. Now, interest or success and degrees and accomplishment can be a powerful force in life. But if you don't have capital, or if you keep drawing from your capital, then you are ultimately affecting your interest. Are you still tracking? This is like the class in economics. Let me translate that. You never, 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 never withdraw from your reputation in order to do something that you think is more important. You never sacrifice your family and your relationships. That is your capital in order to have more achievements. That's only your interest. If you're a company, you never sacrifice reputation, that is your capital, in order to build profits, that is your interest. The more you diminish your reputation or your capital, the less 
interest you will have over time. You can live on it for a while, but when your reputation is diminished and you keep drawing on it in order to do something more urgent or more important to your American mind, you are tinkering with everything else in your life. You can play it for a while, but eventually you run out of all those things. So if you really want to be successful or prosperous or have all of these achievements and build a big company, then you have to start depositing into things that seem invisible. You have to pay attention to your reputation. Shocked in the mind of the ancients, reputation or a person's name was a tangible thing to them. It was almost like a ghost. It was the person, but it wasn't the person. Because the person didn't have all the control over it. And yet, it represented the person. See, again, in the American mindset, it's nothing more than a set of opinions. No, no, to the ancients, it was a real, concrete, tangible thing like capital. So build it. Here's how capital works for you, a reputation. Whenever somebody mentions your name, uh, it's like taking who you are and dropping it in a pond. A couple things happen. First, there's the immediate splash. Everybody sees and watches the splash. But then right after that, if you'll notice, you can YouTube this, uh, the place where the rock hit the pond suddenly goes calm. But what happens is there's a series of ripples that start to move out to the parameter of the pond. And while the ripples get less and less pronounced the further out they go, they do get wider and more influential until they reach the end of the pond. Now watch this. Whenever we think about reputation in the American society, we always think of it in terms of the splash, the immediate impact that a person, how many followers on Facebook, or how many people like you, or how many people are paying attention to you, or really think you're something while you're in the room. We pay all of this attention to the attention people are giving us thinking that if we can improve people's opinions of us, we have built our reputation. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Your reputation is not the splash. It's the ripples. My dad used to say when I was a kid, boy, when you go in a room, don't talk about yourself. We'll do that for you after you leave. <laughs> and remember, the more you talk about yourself while you're in the room, you're affecting what we say after you leave. So Proverbs says, it's not good to eat too much honey. And it is not honorable 
to seek one's own honor. Don't talk about yourself while you're in the room. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. Translated, don't worry so much about the splash. Worry about the ripples. What are the ripples? I see at least three that prove the power of your reputation. The first one you'll experience right after you graduate from college. Your reputation is your resume. This is what your reputation will do for you. Based on the conversations that other people are having about you when you're not in the room, you will notice in the next 10 to 15 years, your opportunities either get wider or they get smaller. You'll notice doors will open or they will close. Based on conversations, other people, well, I don't care what other people think. Okay, they care what they think, and to some degree, they matter. If they're having conversations that open doors for you, it doesn't matter how much you care what people think. As long as they're convinced and they have access to those doors, then you'll find your reputation will expand your opportunities if it's good or it will diminish them. And the thing is, you probably won't even know about it. So Proverbs says, a kind-hearted woman gains respect. But ruthless men gain only wealth. So the first ripple is it's your resume. It's what your reputation does for you in the first 10, 15 years of your career. The second ripple is what happens when you're in your 40s and 50s. Your reputation becomes your shadow. It's the influence that you have over other people. So when you're like 40 or 50 years old, you'll start noticing that your kids are actually rated in part by your reputation, not just, not just what they do, it's what family that they come from. When you're 40 and 50, people will start asking you to write recommendations or references for people. And the reason they do that is not because you're old. Lots of people are old, and it's not just because they know you. No, no, lots of people know them. When you're in your 40s and 50s, people start borrowing your reputation to add a little capital to their own if you have a good reputation, and it's okay. They're not using you. It's what you do in order to get along in life. And so Proverbs will say, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by his praise. What that means is the person is tested by the things that he praises and the things that praise him him. So when you're in your 40s and 50s, you have to be careful what you endorse and you give your credibility to, and you got to be really careful who endorses you. The third ripple is, is 
is your memory. It's, it's not what your reputation does for you, and it's not what it does for the people that are around you. It's what it does for the people that come after you. So in Proverbs 31, there's this beautiful picture of a virtuous woman. Turns out it's wisdom herself. And at the end of that story, it says, look at the phrase, her children arise. That's the next generation. Her children arise and call her blessed, saying, Honor her for what she's done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. This isn't her and it's not her husband. This is the kids. It's the legacy that comes after her. Just like I think it's the American tendency to pay so much attention to, um, to our image we pay too much attention to image and less to reality. I think it's the American fascination right now to try and build legacy and to think that money is the way to do it. So as a person gets to be, you know, older in life, I won't give ages, but as we get to be older in life, we suddenly start worrying about what the next generation is going to feel about us and what conversations they're going to have about us. And if we're not careful, we will use our power or our positions or our money in order to affect that conversation. Now, again, you can have this conversation. That seems to me a little disingenuous. I mean, it seems like an old person's way of being a young person, trying to worry about image all the time. If we do things for the next generation, it ought never to be so they have pleasant memories of us. It ought to be because we honestly, truly, deeply, genuinely believe in the next generation. And whether they ever have conversations about us or not is not the point. It's what they're doing in their day. We are allowing them to govern themselves. But there is this fascination with using legacy to control the conversation being had about us when we're not in the room. So what I want to do to go out in this series is I want us to think about our reputation. Oddly enough, Oddly enough, the people with the greatest legacies are almost never the ones worried about legacies. If they spent the last 20 years of their life worried about that, the, the, the next generation is on to them, man, before they retire. That being said, we are all of us somewhere in the river. And the river is moving steadily in one of two directions. And so I couldn't help this week but to start thinking about where our currents are taking us. What I'd like to do is I'd like to use a series of questions. And I'm going to use the river again one last time. You'll be glad when this river dried up, won't you? Because <laughs> I'm thinking about it in reverse, you guys. Just like... Our reputations are the conclusion of everything in the river up to this point. 
We don't live in one direction and then suddenly go, oh, that's a bad idea. I'm just going over here. It never works that way. We have to establish patterns that are earlier in life. So what I want to do is I want to start with people that are older in the congregation. I mean, you're closer to my age now. I can't believe that. Um, and I want to back the river up, and each stop in the river, I want to stand for a different generation. So I have a series of questions that I'm thinking. You can use them all if you want, but there's one specifically for your generation. The first is for uh, people that are, uh, well, let's just say, relax, 65 and older. All right. I'm going to have you stand in a second, and, and if you want, you can just stand out of sympathy for those that are 65 and older, if that helps you. In the first hour, we had a married couple, and he stood and she didn't. She was 64. She was milking it. When it was over, she said, old man. Maybe you'll do that. You'll just stand out of sympathy. But in a moment, I'll have you stand. The question that, um, that I'm thinking about for us as we get older in life is, how do you want to be remembered? Now, let me sharpen the question. I don't mean, what do you want people to say? Because that seems a little self-serving to me. It, it might not be, but it, 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 it just feels fishy to me. It might be better to say, after you leave the room... What do you want people to feel? What images do you want to come to their minds when they hear your name? Before they say anything, what emotion would you like them to feel about you? And if it helps, don't think of it as some sort of self-serving way as if people are having conversations about, don't think of yourself as a memory. Think of yourself as an ingredient that you are giving the next generation. So in other words, as a result of your life, the people who are younger than you will live differently because you contributed this to their lives. That's the power of empowering the next generation. It's not just that they say great things about you. It's that they actually have opportunities that they wouldn't have had if you had not invested in their life. So ask yourself that, how do I want to be remembered? What do I deeply believe in? And what do I want for those people or those organizations as I get older? If you're 65-ish or in sympathy with those, would you please stand? This is the 10 o'clock service. Beautiful. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I want to consecrate these people to you. I know some of them have done a lot, and there are others that maybe at this stage in their life are wishing they would have done more or would have more to show for it. But I want you to honor them and favor them and cast a long shadow from their life 
over the people that are around him. God, bless the families that they lead. Bless the organizations that they serve and that, they, that employ them. Bless the neighborhoods that are around them, that watch them and their families. Give honor to them and may their reputation expand in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Just a personal note to you if you're in that older bracket. My father's a preacher um, his whole life. And um, as I wrote this sermon, you guys, I was thinking about the difference that one generation can make. My dad lost his mother when he was four years old, so he only had a dad. And because he lost his mother so young, his dad dropped out of church and went to the bars and spent the next 12 years of his life getting drunk. Finally, one day, they came to the front door, knocked on the door, and said to my dad, then 16 years old, get in the car, boy. We found your dad dead behind the wheel of his truck. So they drove him out so he could identify the body, and he remembers coming home that night and walking into a room where his older siblings were having an argument over who was going to have to take him in, who was going to have to take care of him for the next four or five years. He was 16 years old. But at the age of 16 years old, he went to a Billy Graham crusade, sat in the last possible seat. He said at the end of the sermon, he said, I was ready to get out of there, but I was paralyzed. I could not move. He said it was as if the evangelist's knees were right up next to my knees and he was speaking directly to me. Somehow he got out of there without giving his life to Jesus. I don't know how. But it lasted about a week or two and he went into a small church in Holland, Michigan where he went forward after a service and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Well, here's how I was thinking about that. In one generation alone, God changed the direction of our family. Now, I know some of you don't have everything you wish you had at this age. And some of you maybe aren't as successful as you want to be at this age. But can I tell you, never underestimate the power of one generation when it does what is right over a long period of time. You may not have everything you want. I get that. But do you understand the people that follow you are in a way different place now because of the shadow that your life is casting over them? And this morning when I prayed for you, I'm honoring that shadow that God, I'm not praying that God will make you wildly successful. I'm praying that he will take your whole family with you down a different river. Thanks for that personal word. The next generation that I want to speak to, I'll have you stand in a moment, is this is going to get tough now. We're, I think, between 45 and 64. Or if you want to be. How's that? The question I asked you a moment ago is, how do you want to be remembered? The question that I have for you in these middle years is, what evidence or habits make that more or less likely. You're already in routines or patterns in life. And if you're like me, 
you're at a period of your life where you think most of your success is coming from your resume. It's not. It's coming from your reputation. Your reputation is the scent of you after you leave the room. Sometimes it's so powerful, they can smell you before you get in the room. And because conversations are being had, your life's either getting easier or harder all the time. My word to you this morning is make deposits in your capital. Build reputation in your capital. Don't try to manage what people will think about you. They'll think what they want. Live a life of integrity. Proverbs says, the man of integrity walks securely, but the wicked will be found out. So every day, live with integrity, and you will build your capital. Will you stand if you're in that age bracket? And Jesus, I want to consecrate these people my peers, and I pray that you would help us build not just our resume. God, help us to live in ways that reflect character. It's our eulogy we're worried about, not our resume. And God, I pray that our family and our kids will be blessed because of the influence of our lives. Help us in the years ahead to always live in ways consistent with what we have said. Never allow us, God, to live down the truth that we have professed with our lips, but let our lives always go in that direction. In Jesus' great name, amen. You can be seated. I've asked you, how do you want your to be remembered. I've asked you what habit or patterns in your life right now make that more or less likely. I want to speak to the next generation a little earlier in the river. And I want to ask you about the decisions that you're making and the people that you're associated with, the commitments that you've made or you're into right now and, and listen for a moment. I'm not worried about whether it's right or wrong. This is Proverbs. This isn't the book of the law. Proverbs is not worried about the morality of a thing. Proverbs is always asking, where is it going? So if you find yourself saying, well, what's wrong with that? Why can't I do that? You're, you're, you're already in the wrong book. Proverbs saying it's not about what you can and can't do. It's about where does it lead? Is it wise or is it foolish? So there are a lot of things that you can do to be stupid to do them. And there's other things that are wildly unpopular, but you should do them because you like where they're going. So I'm asking you, who are your friends and who are you committed to and what are you knee-deep in and what actions and decisions have you made lately, and where are they leading? Now, if you're, hang on, 22 to 44, how's that? Would you stand? 
for some of you, you think, I can't believe this. <laughs> it happens fast, don't it? Father, I want to consecrate these people. Jesus, I remember being this age. I remember wanting something so much. And then when I was 40, I remember getting them and realizing they weren't that great after all. And so I pray, Lord, that you will not only give them the desires of their heart, I pray that you'd give them flat new desires so that when they have the desires of their heart, they are in a life that is wide and full. Lord, I pray that you would help them in the decisions that they make and the things they're committed to. If it's not of you, I pray they would just dry up. But if it is of you, I pray that it would get traction and multiply in the years to come. Bless this generation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, that leaves everybody under our 22 years old and under. I know. Now, there should be a fair number of you in this 10 o'clock service. I've asked you a few moments ago, what, how do you want to be remembered and what patterns or habits are making that more or less likely and what decisions or commitments are you in right now that are leading to those patterns? But remember, Proverbs starts out with voices. Proverbs talks about lady wisdom and lady folly. It's never what you do, it's who you listen to. And so I think the question I have for everyone 22 and under is, um, who do you admire? Who are your heroes? Now, if you're religious, you all are. You're in church, aren't you? <laughs> There's a list of people that you're supposed to admire. And then because you're born and bred in the USA there's another list of people that you probably are drawn to admire because they get a lot of press. They look cool, they do nice things. And you'll find that those two lists are not the same sometimes. So listen to Lady Wisdom. Because ultimately you will get everything you want in life and even more if you go that way. But if you go the other way, you'll flat run out of gas in about 20 to 25 years. Believe it or not, no matter what you have, the inside won't be there to support it. So always listen to Lady Wisdom. And you know who you're listening to by asking yourself, who do I really, really look up to? Who do I think has it made? Who's cool? Who's got it going on? That's who I'm listening to. Now, if you're 22 years old and younger, I'd love for you to stand I'm not going to pray for you. <laughs> I got one better. We've asked one of the senior citizens in our church, someone who just a moment ago was asking themselves, how do I want to be remembered? We've asked them if they would pray for you because I want the older people in our church to pray wisdom on the younger people in our church. It's the best thing they can do for you. Jeannie Argot, if you don't know her, is one of those dear people in our church 
uh, that I love and admire. And everyone who knows her knows the same thing. God has blessed this woman. Jeannie, where are you? There she is, right here. Jeannie has, in my opinion, come to the center so they can see your towering figure here. <laughs> she has a reputation several times her stature right here. God has used her in all places of the country, but we've asked if she would come right now and just pray a prayer of anointing and blessing over you, and then I'll give us a benediction when we're done. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today with grateful hearts because we recognize you as being our God, our Savior. We recognize you as being the source of goodness and wisdom and love. And we want to also thank you for the faithfulness that you've given us down through the years. You've been faithful in many, so many situations, all situations. We thank you for that. In times of good times and bad times, you've been there, you've been faithful. We pray that for these generations that are gathered here this morning. Help them to recognize you as faithful and trust you in the things that you have called them to in this life. I would pray that any gift you would give me, that instead you would give it to them. Hmm. Bless their lives, we pray. And then we want to also be people of honor, people of integrity. Help each one of us, Lord, to spend our lives in service to you because it's in service that we have the joy and the peace that you grant to us, that you want to give us in this life. So help us to first of all serve you, but serve our church, our families, the world. Help us to serve in any capacity we can and bring us to the end of our lives in a way that would bring blessing to the others that we come in contact with. Again, we thank you for all that you do for us. We pray your blessing, your great blessing upon all of these generations gathered here this morning and help us all to walk close to you in the days that we have remaining. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.